0: warning this episode of the broad bit of everything podcast contains sensitive themes of suicide mental health and self-harm I have provided support numbers in the description below please reach out and talk it's okay not to be okay
1: and having your internal organs rearrange themselves back into a normal position is one of the most cathartic experiences I have ever had
0: broad bit of everything This is the Broad Bit of Everything podcast, and you're here with Jess and the lovely Blaze.
1: Hi, Jess.
0: How are you this morning? I'm
1: very, very well, thank you. How are you?
0: I'm good. A bit stressed, but I'm good.
1: Hey, it happens, right? Yeah.
0: So, tell me a bit about your story.
1: Oh my gosh, where do I begin? I guess in the most recent of times, uh, I I I trained as an actor. I was like a actor. And primarily a musical theatre performer for just over five years. And through that journey, I found myself volunteering for the New Zealand AIDS Foundation. Then, uh, in that time, I also became a drag queen and wrote a show called Everybody Interesting is Gay. And we raised, I think, almost five grand for the AIDS Foundation through ticket sales for that show. And then a job came up at the AIDS Foundation. And I was looking at no longer being a performer. And so I took the job, and now I work for the New Zealand AIDS Foundation. Awesome, it's fabulous. Yeah. That is,
0: that is quite the story. That I didn't, I didn't know that you took a break from performing.
1: Oh yeah, currently on a very long hiatus. Honey, <laughs> yeah, it was interesting, interesting, interesting timing and everything. But um, yeah, now so now I primarily just perform for NZAA. Oh cool. Great.
0: We will dive into um, theatre because that's how I know you from. Yeah. <laughs> So Shortland Street the Musical.
1: Gosh, wow, that almost feels like another life ago. It but does. yes, Shortland Street the Musical. Literally two
0: years ago. Mm. Oh my gosh. I remember going to the opening night, I won tickets with me and my best friend. No way. And uh, it was a dream come true. I met like well, I met a whole bunch of cast members mm-hmm. that were there from the actual show mm. and then I got to watch you guys on yes. stage and oh, that was like it's <laughs> I can't get over how good it was. I really wish it was touring the whole country. Well it Toward the whole country. My
1: life would be very different if it had. Let's yeah, just say that. It
0: would. Yeah. Um. What was your um favourite songs that you performed?
1: <gasps> oh, my gosh. Well, can I tell you about my favourite memory from yes. the show? So, my best friend, Alish, who played... Oh, my... Alison... Alison Ray, Rain- no, not Alison Raynor, the blonde one. Alison Raynor. Alison Raynor. Gosh, I still remember, thank goodness. Um, her, uh, She sung a song called Goodbye Ferndale, which I think was actually written for Alish. And I had, pre- for that year, for the for like the majority of 2018, actually I met Alish at an audition for Greece for Royal Caribbean Cruise Line in Melbourne mm. in the February of that year. And then in the April of that year, we started touring with the children's show around the country. So we spent from April through to October, I think it was, or September, yeah, September, touring this show. And then in October, we started rehearsals for Shortland Street. So we literally spent the whole year performing together, wow. which was so, so special. Um, so my favorite memory of that show was standing side of stage every single show. I stood stage right, every single show, backstage, watching her belt her lungs out. And I have probably never been prouder of a friend of mine yeah. performing. And it was then I was it was then I started to realize I was like I need to take a break from this because the enjoyment I'm getting watching my friend just do her thing is far superior to the enjoyment I get being on stage. And I that wasn't the sole reason I left, yeah. but it's um, it was so gratifying to see her be amazing and wonderful and um, you know now that song is on Spotify and I can walk to work every day and I get to listen to her sing Goodbye Ferndale every day and yes. remember all the fun times so that's my favourite memory my favourite song to perform was either the um, Not In Guatemala Now song <laughs> because Live Tennant's choreography was exquisite, extraordinary and so fun to perform or it was the finale number which oh, yeah. I had a camp old time performing as a little ensemble member in the back um Yeah, it was, yeah, my mouth was bigger than my face, shall we say.
0: My favourite songs were like, um, Bake It Away.
1: (gasps) Oh, the tap dancing muffins. (laughs) Iconic, iconic career highlight.
0: Yes, and it was just such a happy-go-lucky song, and it's very much of a pick-me-up.
1: Yeah, totally. And Tom Clark, who played Lionel, oh my gosh, all these character names, I'm like, I don't forgot a lot, (laughs) um... Yeah, Tom was incredible and just an absolute sweetie and brought so much life and vim and verve to that role. And he only had six tap dancing classes, I think. Oh, wow. I think. Don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure he had like six, between six and eight tap dancing classes and like nailed it. He was so good and it was such a pleasure to be one of his backup muffins. Um, (laughs) And Elizabeth Whiting's costumes, those muffins were exquisite. Delectable. Absolutely delectable. So funny. So they were, um, that was a quick change from the previous scene. I can't remember what it was. And it was just like, it was manic backstage. And getting tap shoes on, trying to do that quietly is a mission.
0: Yeah, I bet. Mm. Oh, I loved um, Stuck in a Love Triangle. Stuck in a love triangle. It's like... It's like
1: oh, Straightest it, I've ever been on stage.
0: Because you were Greg Feeney. <laughs> Greg Feeney? Yeah.
1: Yeah, he <laughs> was Greg Feeney. There was this one show, just for the listeners out there. In the show, Greg is um, pursuing... Oh my gosh, Kirsty. Kirsty, that's the one. Thank you. Greg is p- pursuing. Well, Greg and Kirsty are like and have a thing. And so Greg's a bit of a fuck boy, and <laughs> like a nineties fuck boy. Um, motorcycle riding, yeah. um, Slick back here, Slick back here, like oh, aviator sunglasses, fuck boy. And Lionel is kind of in love with Kirsty, and so they sing this song called "Stuck in a Love Triangle," and um, at the end of the song, Kirsty runs off with Greg. And so we run off hand in hand, and as we're running off, this this one show, this audience member yells out, "Greg Feeney, you suck!" <laughs> um, and it was just a hoon. It was so funny, and I I think yeah, another another career highlight for me. That was a really really fun thing to do. The only the the not fun thing was wearing the gorilla suit though at the Halloween oh. party in the Halloween party scene because I had the helmet on underneath, had the motorcycle helmet underneath the gorilla head. Yeah. And that gorilla suit was so warm. It was very hot.
0: What was the experience, like, I don't know if we touched on that before, but, like, the whole ex- Shortland Street musical experience, like, auditioning to the um, sad demise of the show.
1: <laughs> sad demise. It was interesting. Obviously, like, I've worked, I'd worked with Auckland Theatre Company several times, you know, that was, they were one of my main employers when I was an actor. Um, but, yeah, and primarily in the musical theatre um, stuff. I kind of had heard that this, this show was happening and Liv Tenet, who was the choreographer, texted me. She was like, ah, oh, um, are you thinking about auditioning for um, Short Street in the musical? Um, we, we need male tap dancers. And I was like, oh, yes. Um, and, like, I love Liv and I knew that she was choreographing. And I was like, oh, I jumped at the opportunity. And at the time, Ailish and I were on tour. And so I think Ailish – Ailish – Flew up to Auckland, I think, during our rehearsal period for our show to audition. Yeah. And I was fortunate enough to actually be in Auckland for the audition before we started rehearsals for our show. So uh, we did that. And then, yeah, next thing you know, we both had been cast. Was, oh, that's right. It was really nerve-wracking because I got cast. And then Ailish didn't find out until, like, six weeks later. Oh. And it was it was so, so, like, gut-wrenching. And, like, Ailish and I had the same agent and everything. And, yeah, yeah it was really... Um, it was so nerve-wracking, and I was like, oh, I'll turn it down if you don't get it, la 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 um, but no, I we, I didn't have to, and yeah, so then we went into rehearsals after our show that we did, and it was a hoot. It was such a hoot.
0: Have you done any other live theatre?
1: Oh, yeah, so I have a degree in acting. Oh. Um, I trained as an actor, um, and that was another life ago, from 2013 to 2015, um, and yeah, once I got my degree, I went straight in, I, you know, I... St- I started working in 2000, kind of start of 2000, my graduating year. And yeah, then I came out and I did, I worked with, I worked with Auckland Theatre Company. I did a lot of children's theatre. Did a, like a tiny, tiny, tiny stint on Shortland Street myself. Really? Yeah, I played this bank manager. Oh. Um, that I rem- declined Vinnie and Nicole alone. Yeah, yeah I remember yeah, that. And the fans hated me. They were like, who's hey, this 12 year old? It was very oh. funny. So it was fun. Um, yeah, and then... A lot of children's there and then I did a show in twenty seventeen called Pleasure Dome. What it was, was it about? It was set in New York City in the nineteen eighties, kind of at the height of the AIDS epidemic. And it was about a club that was closing down called the Pleasure Dome because, you know, this big property developer la 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 la. The main character Sappho falls in love with um, Lilith, who's this this kind of daughter of this property developer. And anyway, they saved the club essentially. And, and I was one of the drag queens in the club and that's how I got into drag. Is uh-huh. that yeah. And so that was and it was through that show that I actually started volunteering for the AIDS Foundation. Yeah. And so that was – and then I've done – I did my, I pro- probably my – so that that show and another show that I did just after that called Gaze in Space for Pride in 2018 were probably my two career highlights as a performer. Gaze in Space was kind of like a New Zealand Rocky Horror show. Oh, um, wow. I love and, Rocky Horror. Yeah, and I played a, I played a robot called Sexbot, um, oh. and it was hilarious, and it was written by – Tom Sainsbury and Jason Smith, who, uh, composed my show, everybody interesting is gay. Ah. <coughs> so that was kind of, we met on pleasure. Jason worked on pleasure Dome yeah. and, um, then asked me if I'd be interested in this gays and space in Korea. It was so much fun. We had Chris Parker in it and, um, Daryl Wrightson and Zach and I at, and it was just an absolute hoon. It was so campy and hilarious and like super low budget. And yeah. it was so fun and. Oh, what else have I oh, I did Billy Elliot the musical um, years ago when the ASB theatre on the waterfront opened. So that was a lot of fun. That was the first time I did some tap dancing in a big costume. So before the tap dancing muffins were the eight-foot tap dancing dresses in Billy Elliot. Oh, wow. They were these big, massive, like, thick vinyl dresses that had to be lowered down onto us. And we strapped them in with bike helmets. They were attached to bike helmets. And then we had to tap dance with them and yeah, it was hilarious. It was oh, camp. Wow. It was very camp. Just lot, lots of children's theatre. Yeah. And then obviously Short and Street The Musical came along. And then I think the last like professional gig I did was Night of the Queer for Pride two thousand and nineteen. Yeah. And then from there I made the decision to kind of move away from performing arts as a as a career path for now or for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Yeah. And then went into wrote my show. Um, with my darling friend Jason and found my way to the AIDS Foundation. Now here awesome. I am. So all the performing I do now, I do for the AIDS Foundation. You know, this year alone, I've been in Christchurch, Queenstown, Wellington. I've, she's a touring queen. Eh? <laughs> oh. Yeah,
0: it's just fun. So I remember you doing exercise mm-hmm. during lockdown. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What motivated you to do that?
1: <laughs> a purely very shallow reason um, that the gym was closed and I needed to exercise.
0: Oh. <laughs> gyms are a thing (laughs)
1: yeah gyms are a thing and um yeah the gym was closed and I was like how the hell am I going to maintain a sense of like well-being in this lockdown you know I don't know how long this is going to go on for um and how am I going to like make it fun for myself how am I going to like incentivize it for myself instead of like doing press-ups in my bedroom or something and so I was like, oh, you know what? I'll I'll dance on my balcony, and um, I will I will record it for the people, and it it garnered a little following, and then Radio New, New Zealand came and did a little piece on it. Oh. They didn't, not like a spoken, like a little yeah. written piece. Um, and then I got to do some for a Sweat with Pride fundraiser we did for NZAF and yes. Rainbow Youth. Which was even more fun, and that was hilarious because I, because of royalties, I wasn't able to uh, do it to any well like known songs. Yeah, due to copyright. So we found all this royalty free music, and <laughs> I yeah, uh, the the day we recorded was the first day that I'd heard the music, so I was completely improvising the whole thing, and I danced for six hours straight, recording I think five videos. So are some out there which may be coming to you this coming pride oh spoiler (laughs) look if there's one thing i if if, if there's one thing i would say to anybody out there yeah (laughs) don't let your high school grades stop you from pursuing something that you enjoy yeah um yeah who knew that i'd be working in the public health sector (laughs) 10 years ago yeah because you know for my whole life you know you you grow up, you know. I got, I have a tap dancing diploma that I worked towards for fourteen years. Oh wow! You know, I, I, you know, my whole life was geared towards being a performer. Yeah, I didn't do anything else. And then, yeah, realizing that you don't want to do it anymore is so scary. Mm. You're like, holy crap! What the hell? Where's, like, wow, oh, myself. Yeah, <laughs> like, that, was, like,
0: that was the branding. Mm-hmm. And, like, you're just mm-hmm. cutting that off and, like, okay, who am I now?
1: Exactly. You know, like, what, what else have I got to offer the world? Well, honey, so much more. So <laughs> oh. much more. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, so much more. And it's, yeah, it's a journey. I went to drama school with people in their 30s who had come to acting a bit later. And, you know, that could be a thing. You know, you may train at radio school and then be like, you know what, I, I have a face for the stage. <laughs> I have a face for the cinema art. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's fabulous.
0: Um, who did you go to drama school with?
1: Um, so I went to Unitech School of Performing Arts. Ah, yes. Um, I'm an alum from there, and I actually got to work with a few of my Unitech colleagues in Shulon Street, the musical, one of which is uh, an amazing woman, um, Ava Jacoby, who is an incredible, incredible theatre maker um, and is, you know, is so I'm, I'm so proud of her journey um, and, and where she's heading with her art and her career. And she works so bloody hard. And it was so nice reconnecting with her with Auckland, through Auckland Theatre Company and doing that show together. That was another one of my real special memories yeah. for that show. Yeah, working with her was so, so great. And then I have another friend as well, Um, grace augustine who um, is an incredible you know feminist theater maker and really socially conscious and so 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 inspiring and it's so nice now you know what are we like five years out of drama school watching them kind of flourish and thrive in their artistic endeavors it's very very gratifying as a friend support your friends of course support your friends buy tickets to their shows support their art all that kind of stuff like it's yeah, it's it's really amazing and important.
0: Yeah. What's been your favourite theatre show like ever, like musicals or like
1: being in or watching? Watching. Oh my gosh. Okay. This is a very, very hard question to answer. Back in two thousand and fifteen I went on a secondment during my degree to New York City and um like shadowed a bunch of people on Broadway, la 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 la. Um the play that inspired me to want to be an actor was a play that I saw at Bats Theatre in Wellington in 2010 called The Intricate Art of Actually Caring by Eli Kent um, and directed by Eleanor Bishop, um, which was amazing. It's a phenomenal, phenomenal um, show which deals kind of with kind of ex- uh, existentialism um, and the kind of... Yeah, it's phenomenal. And I actually did... I u- used one of the monologues from the play to audition for drama school. My favourite... So I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that's my favorite play. Um, but I think I, I would say angels in America. Shane Bocher directed a production of angels in America for silo theater company. I think it was in 2014 and it was, it, it, it just, yeah, my mind was blown. Um, incredible, incredible play, um, incredible cast, incredible direction. Um, and it was, you know, at a time where I was coming out and it was dealing with stuff that I was terrified about. And really, yeah, that was the first step for me, was watching that. And then obviously watching the the six-part miniseries and then, you know, doing research on the play itself. And, yeah, gorgeous, gorgeous play. I stand by the fact, yeah, Mary Poppins is my all-time favourite <laughs> musical. 100%, like, hands down. Any production I've seen of it, I've felt fallen in love with. Um, yeah, Mary Poppins. Close second would be... Something Rotten.
0: I haven't heard of that. Oh my
1: gosh. So it was written by the people who wrote Book of Mormon. And, um... Yeah. Yeah. I saw that on Broadway in New York in 2015. And it's this... It kind of deals with, like, an alternative reality if Shakespeare hadn't have written Hamlet. And this guy steals the idea and writes a show called Omelette. Um... (laughs) Yeah, it's really good. It's really, really funny. So yeah, Something Rotten is probably the second, my second favourite sh- musical I've ever seen. And... Oh, no, I take that back. Everybody's talking about Jamie. No, cancel that. 2017, West End in London. I saw this show on New Year's Eve called uh, Everybody's Talking About Jamie. And it's this queer guy who wants to be a drag queen. You know, they're going through school and they're like, what do you want to be when you up?" And He wants to be a drag queen. And it's his, like coming of age story and it's beautiful and i saw it with my best friend natalie in london and it was yeah it was so special yeah so second favorite everybody's talking and first favorite mary poppins
0: so I miss wednesday blaze out
1: <laughs> how yeah. did she come about Miss wednesday blaze out obviously i said that i did that show pleasure dome yes and then that show pleasure dome i played a drag queen um and that uh called mink Mink Bouvier, we called her. Well, her character's name was Mink, but we added the Bouvier during the scene. And I loved it. Oh, my God. It was so... Like, it really got me... It it really helped me kind of uh, place myself within my own queer identity in terms of how I feel about gender and sexuality and the kind of reclamation of all of that. And so when that finished, I was like, Oh, that was fun. I kind of want to do it for real, for real. Through that show, I became very good friends with the head of the um, makeup and wig department. Uh, uh, his name is Steph Knight. And he would paint my face every night <laughs> for six months. Oh, wow. Because um, yeah.
0: that, that show went on for ages. Yeah. yeah, it
1: ran and ran and ran and ran and ran. It went on forever. It was so great. And, yeah, afterwards I wanted to do it for real, for real. So in, like, maybe four or five months after the show finished, I went to him and I was like, I want to do it. Like, I want to I do it. But, like, I... You know you're my drag mother. Like you made you 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 made me what I am. So I would love for you to um I'd love for you to name me. You know I don't I don't want a name that's kind of ironic or a pun. I want something that's steeped in fucker um, papa. I want something that is connects me to a lineage um, because he was also a drag queen in London and his drag name is Booby Tuesday and in prior 2018 he'd given me this nickname Blaisel, um and he said well that can be your that can be your drag surname and wednesday because i'm booby tuesday so that's that's how Ms. wednesday Blazell came about and it was really weird so i you know i had my drag i had my drag debut at the cordis hotel um ah. and back then The only way I knew how to talk and drag was to put on an American accent because that's what I did in Pleasure Dome. So I arrived at the quarters and I'd be like, hello, how are you? Um, And it just felt really like fake. Um, So I stopped that very quickly. (laughs) (laughs) It was very hard to sustain as well. Just was very inspired by drag queens like Karen from Finance in Australia um Chris Parker, actually, is another inspiration for Ms. Wednesday. I don't know if he'll ever hear this, but if he does, Chris, you've uh, there's a lot of Ms. Wednesday idiosyncrasies that I have been inspired by you. Um, then, you know, I had d- volunteered in drag as part of Pleasure Dome for World AIDS Day in 2017, and I wanted to continue that with Steph. Um, so we did it again in 2018, um, and then... So I would go from drag on the streets collecting money to Shorten Street, the musical, oh. take it all off yep. and then get into, get into Greg Feeney. <laughs> um, and yeah. And then obviously in 2019 created the show with Jason, put the show on and then in 20, 2019 World AIDS Day hosted a thing down on the waterfront as Went. Well yeah. So she's had like a bit of a journey. Um, oh, she did the drag wars as well. One time. Um, which is like a local drag competition, um, which was fun. She did that in August 2018 or something like that, um, which was super, super fun. And that was when I was like, oh, I could probably like continue this. Yeah, and now she's got this show and she's writing another show and she's hosting this, that and the other for NZAF. And it's cool. It's really, really cool. I've
0: been following you on Instagram for a long time. And um, I remember seeing... Stories of you in the bus, public transport, with um the glue on your eyebrows oh and the facial hair.
1: Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. I that time I did drag on a bus. Yeah. Um was yeah I was literally blocking my eyebrows, um, which is where you like comb glue through your eyebrows. whilst I was walking up Queen Street, um, then I got on the bus and I was I had blocked my facial hair out. And was doing my foundation on the bus. That was that was actually when I was doing Night of the Queer, um, and that was a hoot. Yeah, that was a real hoot. I yeah, don't think I've, I haven't done it since. Ah. It wasn't the, it wasn't the greatest beat of my life. I have to no. say. Yeah.
0: What's the process like from um, getting ready to
1: finishing up? Oh my goodness. Um, well, it takes a very long time. Um, so up until very recently, I didn't actually paint my own face. Oh, <gasps> shock horror. <laughs> um, yeah, my drag mother, Steph, um, I've been very fortunate. And he's, he's been so kind and donating his time for all the things that I've, I've needed to do. His Miss Wednesday, he's, he's painted me for those. And it's been really lovely, you know, because, you know, spending three hours with the person who you adore yeah. and just chatting and stuff. Um, and so, up until very recently, um, I started painting my face for Winter Pride. I painted my own face for Winter Pride and for my show in Christchurch. And I was like, "Oh, girl, she's not too bad. She's not too sh- not too shabby." So I'm learning. Yeah, I'm learning. Um, but yeah, so now it takes me about I, li- I like to give myself about four hours to get ready, and then however long the event is that she needs to be yeah and drag for. So I think the one that I was at and one of the w- events I was at in Winter Pride, I was there from I think about 6 p.m. until about midnight oh wow yeah so like a six hour event and then getting out so what's that like almost 10 hours in drag um well from when you're getting ready through to the end of the event and then getting out of drag it's like peeling out like taking off a corset and having your internal organs rearrange themselves back into a normal position is one of the most cathartic experiences I have ever had. It's really <laughs> quite stunning. Um, yeah, numb toes, all sorts. I always wear shoes that are at least a size too small for me. Oh. Well, so when, when I'm high kicking, they yeah. don't fling off. True. It's important.
0: Yes. <laughs> how, this is a really weird, random question, but like, how does your skin cope with all the makeup?
1: Actually, fine. Yeah. Um, Sometimes I get the odd makeup blemish. Um, I think when we were doing pleasure dome, we really figured out like great ways to ensure that like blemishes didn't occur and stuff. And I think the main thing is just to use products that have natural ingredients. Particularly when you're taking it off, like I only use coconut oil. That's all I use to take my makeup off oh. and makeup wipes. Yeah. Um, and then moisturizing. Moisturizing is so important. But what I do find is that um, a, like a primer, like a, a primer is really important because like I'll shave my face, like I'll shave my, my stubble or whatever and, um, and you know, you, you're putting like chemicals on your face and ensuring that you moisturize and prime your face to, like, close those pores or, you know, will ensure that you don't get any, like, gross shaving rash. Because sometimes I've forgotten and it, like, stings. And then I, you know, for like, days after I've got these red bumps on my face. Um, but, yeah, coconut oil and moisturising. Aftercare is very important. But recently I have found, um, particularly in Queenstown, I was like wiping off my makeup and I've been using the Anastasia Beverly Hills Alyssa Edwards palette <laughs> and there's a really, really, really strong neon pink in there and it actually stained stained my skin and like no amount of rubbing or coconut oil w- was getting it off and yeah. I went to a party as well and I turned up and I was like, I'm sorry I look like I've got pink eye, but I really don't. It's just <laughs> residual makeup. Um, yeah, natural product.
0: So, what do you think the correct abbreviation for the rainbow
1: community is? Well, I was I when I actually looked this up for you. Um, there is a there is a definitely a lengthy one, um, which in- includes kind of all um, variations of people of diverse sexual orientation um, and gender expression and sex characteristics. Okay. Um, but I think um, for the purposes of this. Interview, Um, I think we should just go with LGBTQIA plus, and that's generally the most common acronym. So that's lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, which also incorporates non-binary people. So that that that's that I think speaks to the transgender spectrum. Yeah. Um, So the kind of the the spectrum of gender, rather than just um, like the binary. Um, identifiers of, of, tra- of the trans community, but also non-binary, identifying people, I should say.
0: Okay.
1: Um, and then we also have um, Q, which is queer or questioning, um, I, which is intersex, and A, which is, depending on where you are on the spectrum, asexual or ally. Okay. And then plus is uh, basically um, a signifier that there are so many broadly you know bro- okay. there's such a broad spectrum of sexualities and non normative um genders and, and sexualities that people can identify as you know uh, pansexual Demis- uh, demisexual Demi- yeah. um gray sexual um uh, gender neutral gender queer you know there are so so many and that that i think the plus is is important to acknowledge that those those exist
0: what has the journey been like at the new zealand aids foundation
1: oh wow um One of the best of my life. I love my job. (laughs) I love the people I work with. I love the communities I work for. It has been uh, amazing. You know, as I said, I I wrote that show. We donated the profit. And then a couple of months later, this job opened up and I, I took it. And there's something that's so gratifying, both personally and professionally, where you can... See people being empowered by behaviour change messaging, um, and by that I mean, you know, people being empowered by their own sexuality. People taking, people taking ownership of their sexuality and making choices that um, make them happy. That make them happy, but also are making them safe, and that are ensuring that uh, they can continue to lead happy, healthy. Um, Happy, healthy lives with intimate relationships, and that is—it's so, so, so rewarding. And yeah, it's marvelous. Obviously, I've—I've—I've I've, I've had a very strong um, passion for the AIDS Foundation for for a little while, and to be able to do the work I'm doing is, is really special. Yeah, yeah, I bet it is.
0: How do you think the rainbow community is represented? Represented in media, specifically TV and film?
1: That is such a good question, and one where uh, one that I have a very mixed opinion about. Um, when I grew up, the only representation of queer folk on television um, was kind of comedic or m- like miserable. So they were, you know, in shows like Will and Grace or Friends um, or, oh gosh, what are some other ones? But it was always like the gay best friend or they would make gay jokes or trans jokes. You know, there's that awful scene in Ace Ventura where he makes some really, really transphobic comments and it's it's deplorable. Like in 2020, mm. um, you know, it'd be a JK Rowling fiasco all over again Um mm. Yeah, it's just awful. It's just, just awful. And th- But that was what I grew up with. You know, I I grew up with thinking that, you know, being gay meant that you had a tragic life. Because in film, particularly, gay films, it was like they die or they commit suicide or, you know, the, the, the fate of the gay character was always miserable. And if it wasn't that, then they were the joke. And that was crappy you know it's really crappy to see a representation of yourself you know homogenous people cisgender straight people have always had their lives reflected to them in film and television
0: because it's like the normal
1: yeah totally and you like and that's as a as a child I think when you when you consume that that's what you learn as being you know the uh, that that kind of like a thing that, that that attainable thing and if you can't get that then like oh, what's the point um but, yeah, so that was when I was growing up. I think in the last five years or so, and probably even six, you know, there has been in mainstream media I'm not because you know there's been some incredible queer films made in the last forty years incredible, incredible, incredible pieces of cinema, um particularly you know, you know one one that stands out for me is the I think it's c b s did a mini series of um Tony Kushner's play Angels in America, which is for me one of the most formative pieces of theatre and, m- like, a mini series television thing um, that I've ever seen. Ever. It is just... It, it is exquisite. It deals very delicately with the complexities of the AIDS epidemic in uh, New York City in the 1980s. And it's this two-part play. Each part is, like, three hours long. Um, so it's this six-part miniseries, and it's fantastic. Um... But I would say, you know, with the advent of Netflix and streaming services, queer representation is becoming more mainstream. Um, obviously, there's RuPaul's Drag Race. I have a, I take issue with that, though. Oh, hot, hot take, Blake. Hot take. It's a mixed opinion because obviously, obviously, it brings to the forefront, in some ways, you know, it, it places queer narratives or gay narratives at the forefront of. You know a Netflix streaming service, which is great. It's amazing, um, but at the same time, it's a very, very narrow view of queer life. You know, but like you know that that show is notorious for not not um, uh, casting trans queens, um, a assi- fab queens, assigned female at birth queens, or um, you know, or the hyper queens. Um, it's it's only known to be, you know, for the cis gay drag queen. Um, and generally the trans narratives that come out of drag race, are, are kind of after, after the fact, which is, um, sad and you know, um, there's that, but also it seems to me, you know, the more drag race goes on, the more I think, you know, it wins, it's one Emmys now and la la la, but the more it goes on, the more I feel like it gets created for a straight audience. I feel like the earlier mm. seasons are definitely, you know, it was it was queer for a queer audience, and now it feels like it's for a spec, it's like a spectator sport, and I actually feel like that's what drag is becoming a lot of. I, I kind of, there was an element of that, you know, for, you know, for bridal parties and things, but yeah, it's but yeah, it, it, it for me that's what it feels like, um, and that's why you know, amazing shows like when TVNZ do House of Drag it's so incredible because you have, you have a real diverse range of queer performers. You have AFAB queens and kings, I should say. You have, um, you have hyper queens, you have, um, you have, you know, more of a traditional kind of drag queen. Um, There's a, there's a real full representation of what, what the drag community in 2020 looks Mm. like. Um, And yeah, it's, it's interesting. And then, you know, there's shows like Shit's Creek, which are amazing. What a bloody good show that is. And it's, you know, written by Dan Levy, who's gay himself, and um, really places queer narratives um, at the centre and has done wonders in terms of queer representation and mainstream media. So, yeah, you know, there are advances that are being made. Yeah. Um, shows like Pose. Pose is phenomenal, you know with you know, with centering the narratives of, you know, queer black, indigenous, trans people of colour. Yeah. It's so you know, those stories are so, so, so integral um for for what we need to be viewing, I think, in twenty twenty. And, you know, Ryan Murphy is also, you know, he makes a lot of stuff with the for the gays. And um yeah. you know, that's great too. But yeah, I think there's still a way to go. We've come a long way, but there's still a way to go. I think yeah. with everything there's still a way to go.
0: Absolutely. Mm. What is your coming out story?
1: Queen, that is um, wow. Okay, so I knew that I was gay when I was 12. I yeah, I'd seen my brother's friend sunbathing out in our backyard, and I was like, Oh my gosh, wow, that's something. And that image is still like etched into my brain. Then I came out when I was 19 in my second year at drama school, and yeah, I lost my virginity to a boy, and I was like, Oh yeah, nah, this is this is definitely that's me. Yeah, 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 that's... Uh, I'm a bit of this. But before that, I had had this massive crush on this, this guy um, who was visiting uh, New Zealand with a show. And, um, yeah, my friends realised that I w- wouldn't stop talking about him and they were like, oh, you like him, don't you? And I was like, yeah, I think I do. Um, and so, yeah, that was that. And then, yeah... In in 2014 i came out and i was at happy hour with my mom and my older brother and his girlfriend at the time and we were driving home and my mom and i had had like a pint of sangria not a pint a a, a pitcher of sangria um and i was like a little bit tipsy, and i was like because yeah, my, my mom had asked me if i was gay the year before and i was like and i didn't tell her i, I said i didn't know and I was like, mom, remember when you asked me if I was gay? And she was like, yeah. I was like, I've got an answer for you. <laughs> and she was like, What? Well, I was like, yes. <laughs> she stopped at the car. She was like, are you sure? She was like, I knew when you were six. I was like, why didn't you tell me? <laughs> um, and what was really funny is I had a gay teacher when I was eight in I think year three. He was really, my mum taught at the same primary school. He was really good friends with my mum, yeah, and t- he told her that he that she needed to have a bottle of champagne in the fridge for when I came out <laughs> um it was very funny, and then I met up with him when I was in London in two thousand seventeen and we you know d- had a, had a drink and natted like a couple of old queens. it was great, yeah, and so we yeah I came out, and that was basically it, really um mum kind of told everybody I had to tell my dad um. Which was interesting. Like, there was definitely a bit more of a conservative op- opinion and approach there. Yeah. But I was also outed in my first day at drama, my first week at drama school, unfortunately. Mm. Um, so, at drama school, we had to do this thing called movement analysis. And my, where we walked up and down a room, and our movement teacher would um, analyze our physical dominances. He, I, I did my walk, and he, analyzed that I had a dominant pelvis and in front of my a class of like 27 people, he was like, blaze, you have a dominant pelvis, which means you're either a pervert or a homosexual. <laughs> what? <laughs> I, was like, well, oh. um, I was like, well, I'm, I'm not one of those things. And so then I spent like months, months and months, months journaling. And then we'd have these interviews and they'd be like, so how are you going with your journey with your sexuality? And, um, yeah. That was, I mean, that was in the end quite a blessing because I had, you know, the support of my tutors at drama school as well. They were really, really amazing and sweet. But I also think because I'm quite visibly queer and quite noticeably queer, that it affected my employability in the Mm. performing arts sector, which was shit. Like, I'm just going to call a spade a spade. It fucking sucked. And... I felt as though I was commodified as like a little triple threat musical theater ensemble queen. And that was all I was good for. That may not be the reality, but that's what it felt like. Um, And either that or like a campy little children's entertainer, which is fine. And, you know, I had had some great, you know, I had some great times. Um, But at the same time, yeah, it sucked. And I felt like the stories that I wanted to, It felt like that the stories that I wanted to tell weren't being told. Mm. And so that's why, that was one of the reasons I wrote the show, Everybody Interesting is Gay. Because, you know, I was able to tell a story for queer people, by queer people. And that was so empowering. Um, And so that's when, you know, doing shows like Pleasure Dome and doing shows like Gays in Space being able to do these shows where I'm actively seeing my community represented and being able to tell these stories for my community was so empowering. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And it wears you because it wears you down. I don't know. For some people it doesn't, but for me it did. And, yeah, now it's just fun again, which is so nice.
0: Yeah. What has been your journey with mental health?
1: Wow. Um... I was diagnosed with depression, severe anxiety, and panic disorder in August 2018. Um, I'll also just place a content warning here that I'm, I may talk about um, s- uh, some things that uh, may affect people. And um, if you need support, um, I'm sure, Jess, you can place some resources yeah. in the support line for Lifeline and support line and. Um, outline and any, any, any other support services. Um, 1737 um, very important. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I did not have a good time in 2018. Um, and what it was, it seemed was a culmination of long-term causes and short-term causes that were linked both to my past and to what was kind of currently happening presently in my life at that time. Um, particularly with my my performing career um, and the kind of infrequency and uncertainty. Yeah, so I was diagnosed, um, and I was I was put on medication, and I went and saw this therapist, and I was I had this this th- this form of therapy called eye movement desensitization and reprogramming, which is essentially like conscious hypnosis, um, but you do all the work. <laughs> And so that was really, really, really hard because I would be going to therapy at like eight thirty in the morning before work, before rehearsal actually during Shorten Street the musical. And you'd feel open. so
0: drained. Mhm.
1: And for a little while I didn't think it was working. I was like, I'm just going there and feeling like crap coming out. Um but after a while the things the the dots started joining. And then Content warning here. I'm about to talk about suicide. So if you would like to skip ahead, skip ahead. Um, but yeah, on October the 4th, I I attempted to take my own life. Yeah, it got to the point where I just, I was like, this is the only way. Um, and I was not successful. Um, and the next morning I was back in therapy. And thank goodness. And um, it was there that, I, I worked through that particular memory. It was like fresh in my mind. It had happened only like five hours prior. And 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 yeah, I, I relived it. And as I was doing it in my mind, what happened was in my imagination, I could see all of these important people in my life walking through the door and, and, and sitting next to me and holding my hand and crying. And I was like, oh my God, what a massive hole I would leave in the world if I wasn't here, like how awful. And from there, it kind of just, it kept going up and up and up. But what I realized was intrinsically things in my life were contributing to this quite actively, particularly my, my life as a performer. Um, And I was on a whole bunch of medication, which was not very conducive to performing (laughs) Um, medication that made me very, very drowsy and very, very um, lethargic and kind of yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't great. And like, I remember Ailish saying one day when we were doing one of our kids' shows, um, afterwards she looked at me, she was like, Blaze, I looked at you during the show and you were just on autopilot, like you were glazed over and I didn't know where you were. And I was like, oh, that's because I was on three different types of medication. Like, you know, it's like a sedative almost to stop the anxiety. Um, so it just became really hard. It became really hard to perform. Yep. And I actually lost the joy of performing. Um, Shortland Street, the musical was a very, very hard time for me. Um and as an audience member you may not have noticed no. but it was incredibly hard i um yeah it was really really hard to just plonk on a smile and go out there and and do some jazz hands and wow yeah um yeah be campy and fun and it was it was so hard i didn't i my body didn't want to do it and i it was very very tiring to 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 do that and so after that show ended i was so grateful for the rest. Yeah. Um, I had a little rest over that summer and then came back and did night of the queer. But after night of the queer, I made a very conscious decision. I said, I need to, I need to
0: focus on yourself.
1: Yeah. I need to leave this behind for a little bit. And if that little bit is a long bit, then that's what I need to do. And I don't regret that decision. It's been, it's been so great. You know, I, I, I'm still, I still take antidepressants every day. Um, I'm, you know, I was discharged from my therapist about a year and a half ago. Um, so, you know, there, I, i you know, I'm. There are times where it's not so great, and that's okay. You know, the life ebbs and it flows. Um, but I have the tools to, to help. Yeah. Um, and just a note to the listeners again: if you do need support, I'm sure Jess can put in has yes. put in some um, support services in the in the bio. <laughs> Um, in the description below. In the description below, and uh, yeah, you can find and and seek help. Call Lifeline. Call Outline. Um, if you're queer, call uh, you know text one seven three seven. Those people are always there. You can call one seven three seven. They're always there to talk to and to gain support. I certainly I did. The crisis team, particularly on the on the Auckland DHB, were very 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 helpful um, on my journey. And you know, obviously, I had incredible friends that would support me. You know, my I, I don't want to name name them, but they were, they know who they are. They know who they are. and They're wonderful. So yeah, and, you know, it, t- it takes a toll. And like you know, I talked earlier about queer representation in the media. You know, that plays a lot. You know, subconsciously, it 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 it, 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 it plays a big part. P- plays a big part of because it. Because
0: you're consuming media
1: always. We consume media basically every minute of every day. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and and I see it in a lot of young people too. I'm like, yeah. It's, it's, it's scary. Yeah. It's scary, but the, the help is out there and yeah, go get it, go get it. And it may not, may not feel like you deserve it. I certainly didn't feel like I deserved it. My friend had to like force me to and sit down with like the triage team at um the Auckland district health board, um, for the mental, like m- emergency mental health line. And, um, like he wouldn't leave my house until I'd done that. And the next day. I was, you know, 9am, I had an appointment with a psychiatrist and a social worker and there I was with like a diagnosis and I was like, oh my God. But it's amazing to have it diagnosed. Like it's so empowering because you know what it is and you can treat it. Yeah. So that's
0: my journey. Mm. I did not know that like Chalent Street was a hard time for you and Mm -hmm. I'm like, and I was raving like yesterday to my friend and this morning i was like oh my god it was so great and then you're like it's not great and i was like ah
1: no it, it was great like it really was and you know in hindsight i made some really beautiful friends i got to celebrate on stage every night with some of my best duties um but at the same time i was definitely going through a really really tough struggle yeah um internally which 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 made that period of my life not very enjoyable um and that's just – that's also a reality for a lot of performers, you know, particularly musical theatre performers. You know, it's this thing of – you don't have an option. <laughs> you, you have to go out there. And the show must go on. The show must go on, but, but – the show must go on, but also an acknowledgement that the show is going on while you are like that is so important. Like, yeah. you know, in New Zealand we have a lack of understudies. You know, th- we don't have the funding in New Zealand to hire – multiple understudies for multiple casts, which means, you know, in some instances people don't get the help they need because they don't have the time to access it because they have to be doing high kicks and jazz hands um on a on a stage for, you know, six nights a week and then the the services aren't open on a Sunday or a Monday. Um so yeah. It's so tricky. It's so tricky. And you know there are some there are some amazing um, performing arts services that people can access through equity and stuff. But yeah, it's so tricky. It's so and being a performer, so it's such an uncertain life. Yeah, such, you know. And
0: do you have any advice for anyone?
1: If you're a performer, know your worth. Know your know your worth commercially. Know your worth mentally. I think that's the most important. Um, and know your, know your worth as a human being. Like you are not just what, you know, your, um, your worth is not a sum of your successes, successes as a performer. You are so much more, you have so much more to offer as a human being. Um, for all the rainbow folk out there, build your community, find your community, find, surround yourself with those people who will support you, uplift you and affirm you. Um, for the queer community as well, particularly you cis, gay, white men, I would like you to know that we need to stop centering our narratives and we need to decenter ourselves and center the narratives of queer, black, indigenous people of color and, uh, to, to ensure that they can access the healthcare and the human rights that they so rightly deserve, so rightly need. And what else, what are, what else I've got one more thing to say? Oh, if you are um, living with mental health challenges, that is so okay. And you are so valid. And like, I know that that's kind of a, a tried and true statement. Um, but if I can do it, you can too. And like, you're not alone. And and what you're going through, you know, there are there are so many people out there, and and but also, be, you know, one person's struggle does not invalidate your struggle. Acknowledge what you're what's going on for you, because you're the only person who has to live with you. So prioritize that.
0: And this has been the end of the sixth episode of the Broad Bit of Everything podcast with Jess and Blaze.
1: Thank you so much for
0: having me. Thank you so much. You've been such a delight. Um, if Anyone wants to find you, plug your socials.
1: Oh, my gosh. Um, You can find me on Instagram at blazebyblaze. That's basically where I reply to any and all messages.
0: Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much.